Good morning. Good morning. Um, just want to thank everybody for sharing this space and being here to receive um, what I'm going to say. Uh, take the opportunity to um, express gratitude toward Colin for asking me to, to speak. Um, it really helps uh, me, my practice and me to consider things. Uh, and of course, I'm very grateful for the practice. Um, a wise teacher once told me, adversity is really good for your practice. In fact, there's not much need for practice without adversity. And um, whenever I'm asked to do public speaking, adversity arises. So it really helps me with my practice. And it's helped me with my practice in several ways, uh, like cancer diagnosis, um, um, being uh, accused of racism in a very um, um, tangible way, uh, a way in which it would be hard to ignore um, and that not being the fact that I did not do what I was accused of, uh, was another thing that the practice really helped me with. I was able to, um, be there, um, be accused of this thing I didn't do and resist the urge to, um, participate in unskillful, reactive, behavior and to actually get some gratitude about um, that occurrence because what happened as a, um, a result of it was that I began to I mean First of all, I looked in, at myself for what was happening. And I said, well, gee, am I a racist? What is racism? And then I began to get really interested in um, the oppression of people of color in our culture and um, slavery in particular. Um, and it's, it's led me to um, really deepen my practice in ways I would not have um, dreamed of, really. So um, I didn't plan on saying any of that, so that's, that's extra. Um, but I, I do want to start with this, this one visual. So as a result of that and um, then what happened in Charlottesville <clears throat> a few couple of years ago, I, I had the shirt made. Um, and I think you guys can see it. 
I had this version made for when I run. And then I, I had some cotton versions made just to wear around. And I, it was one of those things where I felt like, gee, I need to do something. And so I did that and then I wear it and I started wearing them even more now with um, what we're experiencing um, uh, with um, you know, reconsideration of our culture and how it's um, racist. So, I'm wearing that shirt one day and I ran to the park, McAllister Park. A couple of you folks know about McAllister Park. Um, and I ran over and uh, met my niece and my sister-in-law there and then we walked the dogs. My wife drives over and meets me with the dogs. So um, we're lagging behind, me and my niece are lagging behind and she's lagging even further behind. She's eight years old. And early in the morning, this is, so she's not up yet. But she says, um, Uncle Rick, I don't understand what the back of your shirt means. What's hatred? What's non-hatred? And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> it gives me an opportunity to talk about uh, Buddha and, and teaching practice. So I said, well, um, you know, when something happens and you don't like it, and there's a person or a group of people attached to it, and it hurts, and you get angry. She says, yeah. I said, well, that's anger. Hatred's a little bit different. Hatred is when you attach a story to it, and you continually tell yourself that story, and then it, it becomes a, a part of your identity, sort of. She says, oh, that's what hatred, I said, yeah, that's hatred. It's kind of like resentment. It's a good way to work with it, I think. So, and I, and I started thinking about this, so what's non-hatred? And um, for me, at that time, and still, I've been chewing on this, the non-hatred is seeing the anger, um, noticing the story that comes up and letting it be. And then watching it extinguish or float away, you know, watching the impermanence of this um, story which could easily be incorporated into my sense of self, but um, through just watching it and seeing it for what it is, uh, it sort of dissipates. She says, oh, so you see the anger and then you watch it dissipate. And I, and I said, yeah. And she says, I do that using Doritos. I said, oh yeah, I've done that too sometimes. <laughs> and you know, she's seven, eight years old, but brilliant, right? She just tells me that. And then we went through, I talked to her about how that might be a problem. 
uh, I asked her, could you see a problem with that? She says, yeah, you might not have any Doritos around. And I just want to say that um, she, I got her permission to tell the story, okay? Because when she first told me that, I said, oh, I'm giving a talk, can I use, can I use this? No. But then she reconsidered and, and allowed me to use it without bribery. So that, that, was, that was great. Um, so this, um, this little saying comes from the Dimapada, the um, hatred never ends through hatred, through non-hate alone does it end. This is an ancient truth. And the Dhimmapada is one of the earliest written teachings of the Buddha. This is my understanding, right? And uh, that's number five on the list of, uh, I don't know how many are involved in the thing, but that's number five. And there's about six of them that I, I've been working with since I first read the Dhimmapada. And um, I'd like to read those now to give you an idea of the context. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows like the wheel that follows the hoof of an ox. Two, all experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Act or speak with a pure or peaceful mind and happiness follows like a never departing shadow. Number three, he abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those who harbor such thoughts, hatred does not end. Four, he abused me, he struck me, he overpowered me, he robbed me. For those who do not harbor such thoughts, Hatred ends. Number five, hatred never ends through hatred. By non-hate alone does it end. This is an ancient truth. And I love number six. There are those who do not realize that one day we must die. For those who do realize that one day we must die, quarreling ends. So that's the the context of that um, thing I have printed on a t-shirt. And it, it gives, the, um, gives you an idea of what hatred is. It defines hatred uh, as harboring thoughts, harboring these defensive thoughts, these thoughts that just kind of um, we can notice come up. It's not like we ask for them. I don't know about you guys, but I do not ask for these thoughts to come up. But there is this thing I think most human beings have, like um, when we come into the world being ready to develop language, it seems like we come into the world also ready to create a sense of self. And that... Um, these experiences we have um, can become part of this sense of self um, that we automatically develop. And, and 
I think, when uh, the Buddha said uh, corrupted mind, he is talking about that in particular. How the sense of self is a corruption of mind. It also goes to the teaching of um, an Atman or uh, no self, not self, that teaching. Okay. So, um, racism, I think, is, um, can become a part of that corrupted mind. And the idea uh, have is that the practice assists us in confronting our racism through the practice. So <clears throat> here is a definition of racism that I found on the internet. A belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. Two, a doctrine or political program based on the assumption of racism and designed to execute its principles, be a political or social system founded on racism. And um, three is racial prejudice or discrimination. So my experience is that uh, being born in a culture uh, such as ours, um, that one cannot help but have racism. It's a belief. Maybe it's not all that conscious, but of course, um, as Kyle's pointed out, in, in Zim, we. Um, encourage people to suspend belief. And I believe the practice helps us see beliefs in a very tangible way. So how does this happen? And so I wanna I want to play a little video. I hope that you guys are, are able to see it. Um and this is uh, well, I guess it's self-explanatory. Um, I'll have to unplug my headset to do it. Can you still hear me with my headset off? Okay. Okay. And I always ask my mother, I said, Mother, how come is everything white? I said, Why is Jesus white with blonde and blue eyes? Why is the Lord's <laughs> Supper all white men? Angels are white, Pooh, and Mary, and every, even the angels. I said, Mother, when we die, do we go to heaven? She said, Naturally, we go to heaven. I said, 
well, what happened to all the black angels when they took the pictures? <laughs> I said, oh, I know. If the white folks was in heaven too, then the black angels were in the kitchen preparing the milk and honey. <laughs> so listen, you put something in that ball. I was always curious, and I always wondered why I had to die to go to heaven. Well, I could have pretty cars and good money and nice homes now. Why do I have to wait till I die to get milk and honey? And I said, mama, I don't want no milk and honey. I like steaks. And, and I said, milk and honey is a laxative anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I was always curious. I always wondered why. You know, Tarzan is the king of the jungle in Africa. He was white. <laughs> white man. I saw this white man swinging around Africa with a diaper on holiday. Oh, you all see Tarzan over here? Right. Tarzan? And all the Africans, so he's beating them up and breaking the lion's jaw. And here's Tarzan talking to the animals. And... The Africans been there for centuries, and he yet can't talk to the animals. All the times can talk to them. I always wonder why Miss America was always white. All the beautiful brown women in America, beautiful suntans, beautiful shapes, all tight complexions, but she always was white. And Miss World was always white. And Miss Universe was always white. And then they got some stuff called White House Cigars, White Swan Soap, King White Soap, White Cloud Tissue Paper, White Rain Hair Rinse. White tornado flow wax. Everything was white. And the angel food cake was the white cake, and the devil food cake was the chocolate cake. <laughs> I always wondered, you know, and the president lived in the White House. <laughs> and Mary had a little lamp, his feet as white as snow, and snow white. And everything was white. Santa Claus was white. And everything bad was black. The little ugly dumpling was the black duck, and the black cat was the bad luck. And if I threaten you, I'm going to blackmail you. I said, Mama, why don't they call it white male? They lie too. I was always curious. And then and this is when I knew something was wrong. Um, right. So um, racism, while there's a lot of overt racist indoctrination that we may experience, I know I'm old enough to have experienced quite a bit of it, um, such as uh, I grew up in New Orleans and when we'd go places, there would be separate water fountains, there'd be separate waiting areas. And uh, there were the other ones that I wasn't allowed to use were called colored. And um, I asked my mom one time, um, why can't we use this water fountain? I think I was thirsty and there was a colored water fountain right there. And she said, um, how come I can't use it? And, and she said, uh, oh, uh, colored people are dirty. They carry disease. So I remember that. I was a little kid. I remember that. It stuck with me. That's overt indoctrination. However, the stuff that Muhammad Ali was talking about in this wonderful video, um, which incidentally was embedded in a, um, an article that I found online, 
talking about redefining racism. Um, it's is much more subtle. Devil's food cake. Jesus is white. See, so it becomes something that we don't even question. It's like the water we're swimming in. And um, so, the practice has assisted me in seeing that how this kind of internal visceral reaction at times to folks that are colored or their culture or just these kind of automatic assumptions are, are there and um, how to deal with it. So I would think that uh, the majority of people would not want to be racist. Um, and of course, we don't want to be called racist because it's a dirty word. Even though if you um, consider what I'm talking about, it might be that, of course, we are racist. Like, of course, I do come into the world with greed, hate, and delusion. Racism is a type of delusion. It's all, uh, addressing it is um, a way to deepen one's practice, I think. Anyway. Um, So what I have here. So I thought maybe I could uh, read the Dhammapada again and, and tweak a few words to see how that, and I think I, then I was looking at number five, the one I printed on my, uh, my shirt, and it seems to be a pretty good formula for dealing with things. Uh, so, you could say um, racism never ends through racism. So, until we realize that we have racism, we'll continue to be racist. By anti-racism alone does it end. So it's like a formula, you know? And so you could say the same thing or you could plug in racism with the rest of these parts of the Dhammapada or whatever delusion you wanna use really. I think I could make that blanket statement. Uh -huh. Okay, so I'll give you a definition I found online by Dr. Kendi, the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, a wonderful book if you haven't read it. To be anti-racist is to think nothing is behaviorally right or wrong. 
that remind you of the Shen Chin Ming. To be anti-racist is to think, I would say no, nothing is behaviorally right or wrong, inferior or superior with any of the racial groups. Whenever the anti-racist sees individuals behaving in this or that way, the anti-racist sees exactly that, individuals behaving in this or that way, not representatives of the whole race. To be an anti-racist is to deracialize behavior, to remove the tattooed stereotype from every racialized body. Behavior is something humans do. Behavior is not what races do. So that, that's one point of practicing with being an anti-racist. So I just want to point something out that kind of seems to me to go along with this. And I, I label it what to do. Because another thing that Dr. Kendi says is, there is no other capac uh, capacity, in no other capacity is a problem solved by not talking about it. You know, we don't want to talk about racism. And yes, it's extremely hard to treat racism. It's it can be extremely painful, just like it's extremely hard to treat cancer. So the thing is to do something, if you feel moved to do something. So I have this section in here called what to do. And I'll quote Dogen here, to study the Buddha way is to study the self, including the racist self. To study the self is to forget the self. To me, to forget the self is to watch it pass instead of identifying with it. To forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. Uh, we begin to see, we begin to see. When actualized by myriad things, your body and mind, as well as the bodies and minds of others drop away. No trace of enlightenment remains and no trace, and this no trace continues endlessly. He also said, Dogen also said, a fool sees himself as another, but a wise man sees others as himself. And so um, with that, I will stop and entertain uh, comments and questions.